Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Atlanta Man Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Rogers, and on today's episode, we actually have a good good bit of things to talk about. Unlike last week, it was just the Braves games that saw that really happen, but um, this week we got a transaction with the Braves. They did a, an extension of a player. We'll get into that in just a second. The Hawks also extended a player too. And there was some college football this weekend, and we will look ahead a little bit towards the Falcons next week. Nothing crazy in depth, but just a, just a little brief synopsis of how I'm feeling about the upcoming season. But first, we will get into the Braves and the man that they extended through next year, and that is the Salt Man, Charlie Morton. Um, was announced yesterday uh, through a press release from the Braves, as per usual with Anthopolis and the Braves. Nothing really gets leaked to the press. Everything kind of just gets announced by the team. But they announced yesterday that they signed Charlie Morton to a one-year contract worth $20 million for next year. And it also has a $20 million club option for 2023, but does not include a buyout. So um, this was kind of been floating around, like just sort of just from the fans just saying, hey, the Braves should probably um, try to get Charlie Morton to sign back this offseason. No one was really expecting an extension to happen in season. But um, here we have it, just kind of out of the blue on Monday, Monday afternoon. Um, a really, really good deal for the Braves, I think. He's been awesome for this for, for the Braves this year. Um, he's currently on a $15 million contract, so he's getting a bit of a raise by $5 million, which he's been worth the $20 million so far, even more, and he still has some starts to go. So he's going to blow by the $20 million value for this year, and he's only making fifteen. So I think it's a good deal for the Braves and solid payday for Morton, who at this point has made a solid amount of money in his career. But uh, $20 million for next year, for sure. And then the option with no buyout for 2023 is a pretty good get for the Braves. Um, that really adds value to the deal as a whole. Um, you don't have to pick it up. If Morton regresses next year and kind of falls off, you can just not pick up the option and you have no buyout. So there's no penalty. So that's a good get for the Braves. But Morton could um, also be awesome next year and you could pick it up and it could be a no-brainer that they bring him back for 2023. So really like that part of the deal as well. Very similar to the Darno deal. They added a um, an option for the third year for him with no buyout. So it's always a good get for the club when they can get a – a team option with no buyout for for a following year after a contract so that's good um gonna go over some of morton's numbers just to kind of give a good idea of how good he's been this year he hasn't been like best pitcher in the league or anything but he has definitely been really solid um i think he's probably it's between him or freed as who's the best who's been the best starter this year but you could really go either way. I might lean Charlie a little more when we get to the playoffs because he, um, or if we get to the playoffs, hopefully we'll get into playoff picture in a minute. But he is a big game pitcher. Um, before he came to the Braves, he was on the Astros and they won the World Series. He actually closed out the World Series for the Astros in 2017. Um, and then he went to Tampa after he was in Houston, played in the World Series last year with the Rays, was in the playoffs the year before. And yeah, he's been in the playoffs every year since 2017. So hopefully they'll continue this year in 2021. But his numbers this year, he's got a 347 ERA over 28 starts. That's 158 innings. He's got 185 strikeouts over the 158 innings. So that is good for a K per nine of 10.5, which is very strong. Um, he has a FIP of 329, which you always want your FIP to be lower than your ERA. So he is actually underperforming what his um 
number should be. That's just kind of a peripheral stat, um, not really a results-based thing, just kind of a uh, indicator of how strong the defense is behind you and the kind of contact you give up. If you give up a lot of homers, your FIP's going to be higher, and Charlie just really doesn't do that. He's given up less than a homer per nine um, for for the season. He's kind of around his career average there, so really solid there. He's got a 126 ERA+, plus, so that pretty much says that he's 26 times better than the average MLB pitcher this year, which is very good. Um, he's just been really good this year. He's been everything the Braves could have asked him to be. Uh, worth all the money he's getting paid, and hopefully he's going to make some big starts in the playoffs for for the team here in a month or so. So I'm really really excited about the deal. It was um wasn't necessarily expecting it to get done during the season, but I'm even happier that it is getting done now. We don't have to worry about it in the off season because the Braves are kind of have their have their uh, plates full in the off season, as it was looking like between um all the Marcelo Zuna stuff and Freddie Freeman, if he doesn't get extended in the season, which I don't think is going to happen. And they got some other free agents on the roster too, that they're going to have to fill in some spots or bring some guys back. So that's all I really have on the Morton deal. Um, so really like it. Good for both sides. I think good value, all that good stuff. So we're going to move on to the game results this week, which weren't particularly great. Weren't disastrous. Um, it looked like it could have been disastrous early in the week of how things started, but um, it kind of evened out. Not not a ton, but uh, the Braves go two and five on the week, which isn't great. But it's not like they went zero and seven or one and six. And considering who they were playing and where they were playing, it's really not the end of the world. Um, the Phillies didn't go crazy this week and go undefeated. They think they might have gained a little bit of ground um, overall, but. Nothing too worrisome there. We'll get into the standings in a second. But the Braves started this week in Los Angeles against the Dodgers. Uh, the Braves have had some really, really tough luck in Dodger Stadium for the past few years. I believe they have lost nine straight games, including this series, which we'll get into the results right now. Uh, game one, Drew Smiley was on the bump for the Braves. And he was not good. He goes four and two-thirds innings, five earned runs, and he gave up four homers to the Dodgers. But uh, luckily, three of them were solo shots, and only one was a two-run shot. And that was all the runs Dodgers would get were, were the five runs. But the Braves did go down five to nothing early after three innings, but they did make some leeway back into it. Uh, they got two in the sixth, one in the seventh. And on those are on all on solo homers from Freddie Freeman, Jorge Soler, and Adam Duvall. But that is all they would get, and they drop game one, five to three in L.A. Move on to game two. Uh, it was on the bump for the Braves, Charlie Morton, who just got the extension. He had a really good start, six innings pitched, one earned run, and eight punchies for the Salt Man. Um, he was going up against Walker Buehler, who is a Cy Young candidate for the Dodgers. He was really solid as well. He goes seven innings pitch, just two earned runs. Uh, the Braves had the lead in this game. Um, they went down early, or they went up early on a Jock Peterson homer in the third. Travis Darno had it on with a double to go two to nothing, but the Dodgers came back. Mookie Betts homers, sack fly from Chris Taylor, and a Corey Seager double in the eighth gave them a three to two lead. And that is what the final would be, 3-2 to two Dodgers. We head to Wednesday's game, looking to salvage the series. Max Freed heads to the mound against Max Scherzer, the Max off. 
and another Max got the party started in the first. Max Muncy for the Dodgers hits a solo homer to make it one to nothing. Then Austin Barnes takes Max Freed deep in the third, two nothing Dodgers. But then all the way to the seventh inning, Eddie Rosario hits a two-run shot, his first homer as a Brave to tie the game. And then in the eighth, Dansby Swanson goes dead center off Alex Vasilla, and it's three to two Braves. But the eighth inning comes around, and the Dodgers get two big two-out hits off of Chris Martin, Justin Turner singles, and AJ Pollock singles to give them two runs making it 4-3, to three, and that would be the final. Braves get swept in Chavez Ravine. They lose all three, all pretty brutal, close losses, and a really bad taste in your mouth. Headed to Colorado, and they got off on a good foot there. They take game one 6-5, was a bit close. Huascari Noah got the start, and he wasn't fantastic. Oh, not Huascar. That was game two. This was Tukey that got the start. He had a really rough time. Three innings pitched, four earned runs. Gave up a grand slam to Charlie Blackman. Gave up five runs in the third inning, but the Braves would come back and get three runs, two of them on a 477-foot Adam Duvall homer. And the Braves take game one, 6-5. to five. Move on to Friday, which was a very frustrating game. This was the Huascar Enoa start and Ozzy Albies who got um who fouled the ball off his knee in the Dodgers series missed the last game of the Dodgers series and the first game of the Rocky series gets it started with a leadoff homer to start the game in his return to make it one to nothing but then Charlie Blackman homers again to tie it up at one in the bottom of the first. Eddie Rosario gets a sack fly to make it 2-1. to one. Then the Rockies respond right back with an RBI single. Then Blackman hits a sack fly and the Rockies go up. But the Braves get a run back on an Austin Riley base hit to make it 3-3. Three to three. But the, the Rockies do take back the lead in the sixth on a C.J. Crone single, making it 4-3. to three. The Braves would not get any more runs after that. They lose 4-3, to three, and they only make the Rockies throw 94 pitches in a Coors field ball game. They were very aggressive in this one, and it came back to bite them. We'll move on to Saturday. Another one-run loss for the Braves, despite going up 2 to nothing in the first inning on Austin Riley uh, RBI ground out and Adam Duvall double. Rockies came back. C.J. Crone homers. Herman Marquez scores a run on a sack bunt, but then Ozzy hits another homer for a second straight game to make it 3-2. But then Charlie Blackman, for a third straight game, hits a homer to make it 4-3 Rockies. Soler would make it 4-4, but the Rockies get it back again, a back-and-forth game in this one. Raymond Tapia, sack fly, makes it 5-4, and then Garrett Hampson singles to make it 6-4. Trevor Story triples to make it 7-4, but Dansby gets a run back on a sack fly to make it 7-5. Travis Star Nope, hits a pinch at homer in the ninth. Will they come back? No, they won't. Braves lose 6-3, and they will be forced to win game four to split the series. And they send Charlie Morton to the mound, and he shoves again. Seven innings pitched, two earned runs. That is all he gave up, and the Braves' bats came to play. They score nine runs. Ozzy homers again because that's obvious. Austin Riley homers. Travis Darno homers. Lots, lots, lots of homers for the Braves in this one. They needed it. They needed a blowout win after all of these close games they played this week, and that's exactly what they got. They win 9-2. to 
and they split the series in Colorado, which is perfectly fine because the Rockies are very good at home. So that's a perfectly fine series for the Braves. Uh, we look at the standings now. They're currently one and a half games up on the Phillies and four games up on the Mets. So Braves didn't play yesterday and the Phillies didn't. They won. So it was two games after they won on Sunday. But since the Phillies played yesterday and won, it is one and a half games now. Um, I will now look at the baseball reference projection model that they have for the playoffs. Show you, tell you guys what uh, what the odds are that the Braves are going to make it. What kind of movement there has been in uh, these projections that they have. So right now, just to make the postseason, the Braves have a 76.5 chance, according to Baseball Reference. Um, this isn't the only website or uh, database that does this. There are all kind of different projections out there. A lot of them really differ for each other, but I, I, I tend to use Baseball References. I just It's very... Uh, convenient to get to so i look at theirs but yeah the brace of a 76.5 percent chance to win or to make the postseason and a 71.1 chance to win the division and um over the last seven days it has their playoff chances have gone down 9.2 percent the phillies have gone up 11.3 and the mets have gone up six percent because they have kind of gotten their way back in it still but they only have a 6.4 percent chance of making it and the phillies have a 36.9 percent chance of making the postseason for them uh, they have the braves projected to go 87 and 75 on the year um, that seems pretty accurate to me they have the phillies projected to go 84 and 78 and the mets to finish at 500 at 81 and 81 so those are the baseball reference projections. Um, as of right now, the Braves are still pretty comfortably favored to win the division and make the playoffs. But it has been going down over the last few days. But the Braves had a very tough schedule this week, and uh, the Phillies really didn't. And now the thing it kind of flips. The Phillies still don't have a super hard schedule. They do play the Brewers, who they took game one yesterday. But the Brewers are very good. They have two more games against them. But the Braves' schedule gets super light over the next week week or so uh, this week they're off on monday so tuesday through thursday they are hosting the nationals who are dreadful and then this weekend they host the marlins who are interesting i guess they're not good but they can be pesky i guess um, i do think they're better than the nationals at this point though the nationals are terrible and then they'll be off next monday and then they play the rockies at home who are terrible on the road so a nine-game homestand against three really, really mediocre teams, even less than mediocre, bad teams, especially with the Rockies on the road. They're really bad. But, um, yeah, so you got to kind of get fat during this. Um, it's You kind of have to go six and three at the minimum. Um, seven and two or eight and one would really be nice, but at least go six and three over these nine games, especially at home and especially against these opponents. You can't really afford to – just kind of tread water here. You gotta, you gotta make some leeway in the in your with your record and um, take advantage of these easy games because after that, they have to go to San Francisco for three, but then they play the Diamondbacks on the road for four, who are terrible. So and then the last three series of the year after the Diamondbacks are kind of tough. They have San Diego for three point three games, I guess, because they have to finish up a game that took place a while back that got rained out in Atlanta. Um, it was a seven-inning game, and the Braves were losing 5-4 to four in the bottom of the fifth. So they'll be the home team in San Diego for a couple of innings. And then they have three games at San Diego. 
That'll be their last stint on the road for the year. Then they come home for six against the Phillies and the Mets to finish the season. So that's kind of where I think the division will be decided in those six games, whether it'll be probably against the Phillies or maybe the Mets could keep making their way back into it. But Braves are still in solid shape, only a game and a half up, but the schedule is pretty easy. I think they're going to be able to get a little bit more separation between them and the rest of the division. So that'll do it for the Braves talk. And uh, now we will transition to a little bit of Hawks talk. It's been a while since the Hawks did something. Um, been a couple weeks only, but, you know, it got kind of basketball kind of scarce for a while here in the offseason. But um, they did make some news on Wednesday as they signed one of their players to an extension as well. And that would be Mr. Clint Capella, or center. He agreed to a two-year, $46 million extension. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported that. Uh, the thing with Capella, though, he was not a free agent after this year. He has two more years of control, um, beyond, beyond um, include not including the extension. So now it goes up to four years, and now his... Contract equals out to a four-year, $82 million-plus deal. Kessim Incentives tied into his contract. So four years, $82-plus million for Capella and the Hawks. And this wasn't a move I was necessarily expecting to happen. Um, really didn't expect this to happen at all. It wasn't on my radar. I didn't think the Hawks were going to do it. But they did, and I don't think it's horrible. I think it's perfectly fine. Um, Capella is, if he plays the way he did last year, he is worth exponentially more than the $23 million he'll be making um, over these two years with the extension. But um, that is two years away when this kicks in, so he could be a different player by then. You never know. But um, I think it's a perfectly fine contract, perfectly fine value. I think he'll be able to meet that $23 million threshold of, of value and production. I definitely think he can do that, even though he'll be a little bit older. He'll be 30 and 31 years old and the two years of the extension, which isn't ancient, but definitely not super young either. You're right in the middle ground there. So I think he'll be fine. Um, another thing about this contract is that it's also tradable and, and in theory, because I, like I said, it's pretty good value for Capella and that he could easily be worth more than this. Um, the one reason I wasn't really expecting this to happen because of Anyeka Kongwu, who is the young center of the Hawks drafted last year. He is hurt right now, um, but that really doesn't have anything to do with the long-term outlook. It's, he doesn't have like a super, super serious injury. Definitely going to miss some time, but nothing that's um, really moving the needle on his trajectory or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I think most people, most things I've read from people before this happened and uh, people that follow the Hawks very closely and the general consensus was that you know, Capella will probably ride out the last two years of this contract, and then Okongwu is the guy because the way Okongwu looked in the playoffs, he looked very solid, and he looks like he could really turn into a very, very good starting center for the Hawks. So I think the general consensus was, yeah, we'll let Capella um, ride out the two years of his deal, and then um, it's Okongwu time, and we're going to give the reins to him at center, and he is the guy of the future. Um, but that didn't happen here, so it is going to be interesting how they handle these two guys in the future. Um, doesn't really apply to next year at all, or really the next two years, because Capella is going to be here anyway, unless they had like unless some people thought they might trade Capella after this year or something. But that is not going to happen. Likely, that's not likely going to happen. So, 
I really don't see both of these guys being on the Hawks two years from now, really. Um, either when Capella when Capella's um, extension kicks in, I mean, and that, that that's a lot to do with the expectation of a Kongwu, um, and what people are think he's going to turn into, the kind of uh, prowess he showed in the playoffs. You know, he had a kind of injury plague season last year, but when he did get to play, he was solid. And um, when he got to play in the playoffs, he did a really good job defensively on some of the better players in the entire league, Embiid and Giannis. I think he did a really solid job defending them, better than Capella at times, I think. And um, so I, I really I really think it's going to be interesting to see how they handle them. I really think that probably one of them is going to get traded. Unless a Kongu just doesn't really turn into the starting caliber guy that most people think he's going to turn into, um, which is definitely a possibility. Um, he could just be like a solid backup center, and that's perfectly fine too, and that would work out um, with keeping both guys on the team. But I think if you're a Hawks fan, you kind of you want a Congo to be really good, and I think that's the – I'm not saying he's going to be Joel Embiid, but the expectation is that he's going to develop into a really solid center, and he's definitely shown flashes of him being able to do that in his rookie year. Especially, and especially when he can get healthy consistently. Um, they re- People really think, including myself, that he is going to be really good. So, you know, I, re- I was kind of expecting maybe like in next year or in the year after that a Kongu might be, you know, nipping on Capella's heels and taking some minutes maybe. But um, it looks like that's not going to happen. Um, they seem very comfortable with Capella, in which there is no reason to not be. Capella was awesome last year. He was probably the second most important player to the Hawks last year, outside of Trey Young. The what he did to the defense and the anchor that he was on defense last year really transformed them and really was kind of the missing piece that the Hawks needed. Because um, the Hawks center play before Capella got to Atlanta was pretty brutal. Um, you know, no no shots at Dwayne Dedman or um, D- Damian Lee or anything, but it just wasn't great. And when Capella got here, he was awesome defensively, awesome with the rebounds. You know, he shot a really good percentage at the rim, so he was definitely a factor in on offense, too, in the regular season. Kind of slowed down the postseason, but um, it really wasn't a huge deal. But, yeah, I, I, I think it's perfectly fine that the Hawks are – comfortable with moving forward with Capella, but it's just interesting what they're going to do and how they're going to situate these two guys, Akangwu and Capella in the future. So I don't want it to sound like that I don't like the deal because of the presence of Akangwu. I just thought it was um, nothing, not something I wasn't really expecting, but I definitely don't think it's bad or anything like that. I think it's perfectly fine value for the Hawks. Um, solid payday for Capella. He could easily be worth more than that. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a good problem that the Hawks have. It's not a bad thing having too many good players. It's never a bad thing. So, um, you know, the Hawks are going to be pretty deep at center when Okongwu comes back. Um, and this isn't something that really affects the immediate future between these two because that was they were going to play together at least for next year together and most likely the year after that anyway. So this is kind of a two-year-down-the-road thing of when we're going to have to kind of – or not weird, but the Hawks are going to have to deal with this. So it will be definitely interesting to see how that plays out. But I think it's a good deal, perfectly fine, no real issues with it. Just I'm going to be, going to be curious to see how it plays out. So, All right, we will wrap up the show with – a little bit of college football talk. Um, so college football, it's been going on for a week, a week before, um, about a week ago was week zero. Week one was this week, and that is when uh, most of the big games started to kick off. 
And um, I will talk about the two Power Five schools in Georgia, which are the Georgia Bulldogs and my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, who had a rough had a rough week. They did lose to Northern Illinois at home after being favored by 19 points. They lost 22 to 21. Um, no real excuse for that. Pretty pretty bad performance from Jeff Collins Jackets. Um, so questionable replay stuff on a two-point conversion for NIU. Looks like the ball might have bounced off the ground, but they didn't overturn it because NIU did. Georgia Tech was winning this game 21-14 to in the final minute, and NIU scored a touchdown and elected to go for two and go for the win, and they got it, but looked like the ball might have bounced loose on the two-point conversion, but the call stood. Georgia Tech couldn't. They did get down to field, kind of field goal range, it was going to be like a 60-yard field goal to win the game, but it got blocked, so that didn't matter. Rough game for Georgia Tech. And then, unfortunately, the Georgia Bulldogs lost, um, which you know, I'm going to try to be as unbiased as I can on here, but I'm never going to celebrate a Georgia victory. Sorry um, if you want me to, if you want me to come up, come on here and um, sing their praises, but that's not going to happen. They beat Clemson, a top-five match at the start of the year, number five Georgia, number three Clemson. And Georgia won 10-3, a real barn burner. Uh, the only touchdown the whole game was a pick six from Georgia. And then both teams got two field goals offensively. So, yeah, kind of just a slugfest defensively in this one. Not really much to talk about. Just kind of impressive defense play, defensive play for both teams. But um, Georgia's defense made one the one play that was the difference. And they won 10-3. And that is your Georgia State of Georgia college football recap for the week. So we'll be back next week because it is a in-state game next week between Georgia Tech and Kennesaw State. So that should be delightful to watch. And Georgia plays the University of Alabama and Birmingham Blazers. So we'll be discussing those two games next week. So um, be on the lookout for that. Strap in. It's going to be very exciting. So, yeah, that's the college football recap for the state of Georgia. Um, and now I will briefly talk about how the Falcons play on Sunday against the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, not really going to give like a uh, prediction or my analysis of the roster going into week one or anything like that, who should have made the team on the 53-man roster, none of that. I'm just going to say that the Falcons are going to play a football game next week. And this podcast could take a very dark turn over the next six, five, six months. This long 17-game schedule that the NFL has now, it could get rough. It could get rough. Um, so, yeah, not, not really much to say about um, the Falcons at this point. Um, they had a really rough year last year. If I was doing the podcast during last season, there would have been some really dark episodes on Mondays with some of the games that they lost and the fashion in which they lost them. So hopefully the Falcons will be good, which I'm not expecting them to be at all. But if they do lose, which they probably will, I just hope that they lose like normal people because they don't tend to do that. They tend to lose in the most agonizing, demoralizing, and painful ways imaginable so if they do that for multiple games in this season 
it's going to be a rough podcast. It's going to be very rough. Because I just had Georgia Tech lose on Saturday in pretty agonizing fashion. But that pales in comparison to the way that the Falcons have lost games last year and in years past. So, just a, just a warning that um, could get pretty deep, dark, and uh, treacherous on the pod in the next coming months. So, just a warning. Hopefully I'll be back on here Monday and the Falcons have beaten the Eagles, which they might. But um, I'm really not getting my hopes up for this year at all. I'm just not, not going to do it again. I've done it for the past few years. Like, ah, maybe they could be good. Uh, you know, Matt Ryan, he, Calvin Ridley, you know. You know, in years past we had Julio. So, I mean, you got those three. You can make some happen. No, I'm not going to do it this year. I'm just going to – I'm going to watch them. I'm going to root for them. But I'm not going to expect anything crazy or anything special from this team. So hopefully they prove me wrong, but I'm not getting my hopes up for it. So, yeah, that's it for my um, – Falcons preview for the year <laughs> pretty uh pretty um pretty pessimistic from me but um that's that's all I got with this team at this point until they prove me wrong so hopefully they can prove me wrong this year but I'm not expecting it so that will be it for the episode if you made it this far I thank you I thank you very much for listening and listening to me for this long and um making it all the way to the end I really I really do appreciate it if if you are out there listening so That'll be it for this week, and I will see you in the next one.